What is attracting so many people to talk about, to live in and to work in Manchester at the moment? I think this is where there's a synergy with the visitor economy as well. I think you can boil it down to two things, which is food and drink and arts and culture. Hello to all of our listeners and welcome to the Investment Insights podcast with Select Property. I'm Amber Fur, and I'm super excited to be here today with Tom Hetherington, also known as the man who put Manchester on the global stage. So Tom, welcome. Well, uh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That's quite a big intro. I'm yeah. going to attempt to live Huge up to that. Huge acts to follow, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know. Following my own act. Let's give it a yeah. go. Okay. So um, do you want to just start by giving us a bit of an overview to your kind of contribution, your experience to Manchester's food, drink and culture scene? Okay. That's another quite big ask. That's a tough first question. So I've always been born and bred around Manchester. I grew up in a little town called Glossop on on the outskirts. So Manchester's always been my city. I moved back here after uni. I went to college here uh, as as well. Moved back after uni and lived in Longsite, sunny Longsite. Lived down in West Didsbury. Moved into the city centre in 1999. Lived here for five years, which was quite pioneering at the time. Still felt like quite a a brave thing to do. and along the way, I really developed a, a love of food. Food and drink became my, my big, big passion. Um, and I ended up working for a company that launched a restaurant magazine. Uh, I helped to launch that and the 50 Best Restaurants in the World Awards. Um, and then latterly, for the last 19 years, I've run NRB, which is a really big hospitality trade show. Pulls people in from all over the north and beyond to kind of come to Manchester every year. Um, and parallel to that, I, I also kind of developed an interest in arts and culture. That was a big passion of mine as well. So we ended up launching an art fair, which is a whole other story with all sorts of twists and turns. But we, we've run Manchester Art Fair and the Manchester Contemporary now for 15 years. They're one of the biggest art fairs in the entire country. We've sold about £8 million pounds worth of art into a city where everybody said, no one in Manchester will buy art, you will not sell art in that city. And we've proven them wrong. I used to sit on the board of Castlefield Gallery. I'm now a trustee of the, the Manchester Art Gallery board as, as well. So I've kind of, through happy accident and mild chaos theory and no great design, I've ended up with a career, and, and this is a line I've used before, but a career or a life where... If there was a Venn diagram to represent me, it is food and drink and arts and culture and militant northernism. I'm a proud northerner. I've always resisted the siren lure to go to to London. Um, And it has been my job. It has been my life. And I kind of made it my my mission, my unpaid mission, really, to try and do everything I, I could to support and develop food and drink and arts and culture in Manchester and in the north of England, because that was that was my town, it was my city, it was my area, my interests, and I felt that more could be done, more should be done, that all of the potential was there. Um, and sometimes that wasn't always tapped, and, and sometimes that was down to forces beyond Manchester's control, and sometimes it was down to the things that we did here within the city, and I, I felt I could make a difference. So I just I got involved everywhere, I stuck my oar in everywhere, I tried to connect people up and give ideas and insight and make things happen and uh, yeah somehow I've made uh, an accidental career out of it. Okay great so you must have seen so much change and huge evolution in your time in Manchester and you know living and working in the city centre Yeah. Um, and I know from the late 80s the city centre population has gone from just 400 people to over 65,000 So, you know, Manchester is on the global stage more than ever. Um, It's gaining global recognition as a top world traveller destination. 
What is attracting so many people to talk about, to live in and to work in Manchester at the moment in particular? It's a really, it's a really good question. And you, you're right about the, the changes. Um, I remember growing up here in the late 70s, early 80s, mid 80s. It was, it was still, it felt like a small city and it felt like the lights went off at five o'clock and everybody went home. I mean, it was literally a ghost town on the on the city streets um and then i went away to to university in in 92 came back to manchester in 95 and there was just a feeling i saw it in liverpool a little bit where i went to university but when i came back to manchester after three years kind of away there was a really pronounced difference almost like a tipping point in how the city was behaving and how people were were treating the city and i i found that quite intoxicating there was kind of a, a new optimism and a, an interest in food and drink and culture and for want of a better phrase a more kind of european approach to cities and how they should be enjoyed and lived in and, and utilized so yeah that was that was hugely exciting um and as you say sixty thousand people in the in the city center depending on how you you kind of stretch the boundary for what is now the city center you're talking eighty thousand. i think with all the planned apartments it could be a hundred thousand which would be quite um quite a benchmark but i don't think it, sh it shows any sign of um stopping in terms of what's attracting people i think there's two there's two distinct things there's the people who, who choose to live here and there is the people who choose to come here the visitor economy um and the visitor economy is is something i'm particularly interested in but in terms of the the first one it's kind of hard to unpick there's a yin yang between the importance of jobs which sounds quite pragmatic there has to be jobs you can't move to live somewhere or you couldn't move to live somewhere if there wasn't a job and also somewhere that you want to live yeah and those two things are inextricably linked it's like a, a kind of virtuous chicken and egg thing that companies won't come here if they don't believe a place is attractive enough to attract their employees but equally employees won't go where there, there aren't employers so you have to do this little kind of push me pull you nudging along as a, as a city if you're the, the council or marketing manager or, or whatever you need a kind of strategy a twin strategy where you're just you're getting the employers and Midas I suppose as well are, are very much involved in that but you're also attracting the individuals as well um, and I, I think what's interesting is that over over the last 10 years 15 years and then certainly over COVID there's been a slight disconnect that you don't need to work in a lot of jobs where your employer or the employers are anymore you can pick and choose a lot more and i know people who work for companies based in london or in barcelona and they choose to live in manchester and they go to the office in inverted commas when they need to which is relatively infrequently and the other way around as well so there's been a really interesting untethering of that that kind of in, inextricable link between employers and employees and i think that happened manchester has a, a wonderful recent ability to to kind of bring about serendipity just perfect slices of timing and i think manchester was sorting itself out as an attractive enticing place to live and to be just as that link between employers and employees got broken which meant people could choose where they wanted to be and they liked the idea of being in Manchester. And that in itself then flips the dynamic around that employers are then keener to come to the city because they can see that there's already a rush of people, talent, uh, potential employees moving there as well. So it, these these dynamics have all kind of shifted and I think they've, they've all shifted in Manchester's favour. So to go back to the original point, what makes it attractive as a city? And I think this is where there's a synergy with the visitor economy as well. I think you can boil it down to two things, um, which is food and drink and arts and culture. They are they are the two elements that tell uh, 
the stories or paint the picture that catch people's eye that that are attractive you know when when we look at where we go on city breaks i would imagine that the first things we start looking at if we're looking at lisbon or copenhagen or you know whether we're going to go to naples or malaga or wherever it might be the first things you kind of look at are food and drink and arts and culture has it got that sense of vibrancy is there a lot to do is there a lot going on is there that sense of energy um and that's certainly that's certainly something that the the city has done very well there's also more more pragmatic elements you know if you're going to live somewhere you have to think about schools doctors nurses all those important things particularly if you're going to attract a balanced demographic and i think that's something that all cities in the uk need to work a bit harder at and could do better at but certainly in terms of kind of making people go i want to move to manchester i think without being too reductive about it food and drink arts and culture people look at manchester from a distance and it sounds great you read about it, you see all the articles, you see everywhere we're listed. I, I would read about Manchester and think, I want to go there. I want to go there to live. I want to go there to work. I want to go there on a city break. It happens every day. Yeah, I totally agree. So I'm back in Manchester now for two weeks. I've already got my food itinerary lined up. That's the most important um, thing. The most important thing, the pizza scene. The pizza scene's gone gone nuts. I mean, I th- Yeah, I think we, we used to only have one type of pizza in uh, in Manchester, and that was your lot. And and now you can choose between any any type of Neapolitan or Roman yeah. or Detroit pizza Detroit, or Chicago yeah. pizza or New York pizza. Yep. You know, you can kind of go on and on. It's endlessly subdivisible, really. Definitely. And I think you're so right, the, the kind of key role that food, culture, art is playing in Manchester becoming a global tourist destination. I mean, it was recently recognised in 2023 as a, um, a global destination by huge people like Time Out, mm-hmm. um, Lonely Planet, National Geographic. So it really is making its mark on the global scene. Um, but what are some of the key venue openings or food openings in 2023, some which we've already seen this year, but that are going to continue, we're going to continue to see throughout the rest of 2023? So you're thinking food and drinks specifically? Yeah, or just other kind of big key cultural venues. Um, I know Factory International has been gaining a lot of a lot yeah. of recognition lately. Yeah, I mean, there there is some which are very, very recent, very topical right now. There's a couple of restaurants, a handful of restaurants which have opened within the last month or two, which I think are all quite significant in their way. Climat opened just before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, got a fantastic J. Rayner review. They have a kind of phenomenal, very classical uh, wine list there, which which is just catnip for me. I, I can't <laughs> stay away. Um, Higher Ground has just opened within the last couple of weeks uh, that's by the the guys who were also behind Flawed in Ancoats yep. and that in itself is a really interesting story because the the three guys behind that Daniel and and Joe and Richard they've worked in some of the finest restaurants in the world in Scandinavia in London in New York they've worked all over and when they decided to set up together with their international pedigree they could have chosen literally any city in the world. They have the track record to do that, but they picked Manchester, and that's where they've come to, and they've delivered Flawed, and now they've just launched Higher Ground, which is absolutely incredible, the most wonderful uh, restaurant. Um, and then there's Stock, uh, the Stock Market Grill as well, which is opening in the, the Stock Exchange Hotel, which is a very, very recent opening again. Again, that's an interesting story. It, it feeds back to the same narrative that the two guys behind that are the Schofield brothers, uh, Dan and Joe Schofield. They are world-class bartenders. I mean, in the most literal sense of the word, they've worked all over the world. They've run 
bars, I think in Singapore and possibly Hong Kong as well, certainly out in the Far East, that have regularly got listed in the 50 best bars in the World Awards. But when they decided to launch and run their own place, they came home to Manchester. And I think it's interesting that we can attract people from outside of the city who have the world at their feet to come to Manchester to deliver what they want to deliver. And we can tempt people back to Manchester. People who've left Manchester made their name on a global level, but they come back to put their mark upon the city. And honestly, I don't think that would have been the case 15 years ago. I think that's part of a, a very very serious and very definite dynamic and again it's a positive dynamic in Manchester's favour that we can attract this talent or or get this talent to return. Okay I think also something that we really are seeing as you said with the new restaurant openings is a real kind of luxury scene emerging in Manchester which I would say is something that is relatively recent isn't it? Um, So talk to me about Soho House, because I know that that's coming to Manchester for the first time this year, isn't it, as well? Yeah, it it, it is. I'm I'm actually on the the committee for Soho House in uh, in Manchester, the launch committee, and I I was lucky enough to interview Nick at the NRB exhibition last year. And as as always, he was was fantastic, very irreverent, very insightful, and he's a, a very sharp guy and uh, talked with incredible honesty but yes it's interesting that Soho House has come to Manchester and I I would add that to the the list of up-and-coming openings alongside cultural institutions like Factory which will be enormous in terms of its impact but I think what's interesting about Soho House is that it's not alone I was talking to a a property agent who who deals exclusively in in kind of leisure and hospitality um, and they said that Five years ago, the kind of big international brands, I'm not talking about something like McDonald's with 10,000 restaurants, I'm talking about prestige brands that might have 10 or 15 sites across the world. They might be in Miami and New York or Hong Kong or wherever. Those sorts of operators wanted London all day long. That's all they wanted. You could not hold a conversation with them about anywhere outside of London. Now, they all want Manchester, every one of them. They all want to talk about Manchester. And we've seen Chotamate is coming in to, to the development, St. Michael's development, Soho House are coming in. And this agent said, you can't talk to them about any other city. All they want to know about now is London and Manchester. So we've kind of raised our, ourselves up above the parapet now that that calibre and that ambition of international operator now include Manchester on their list of targets. Again, I keep using the phrase, in a way that would have been unthinkable even 10 or 15 years ago. Completely. I think we're finally really stepping into that title of the capital of the north. It's no longer just a phrase that we're sort of... Has that ever been in doubt? That's true. That's true. We've always been the capital of the north, if not the capital. Yeah, Um, that is also (laughs) a fair point. Um, But just kind of on that luxury scene. So Ian Brown, the lead singer of the Stone Roses, Manchester Bread Band, as you'll know, um, once said Manchester has everything except a beach. I never thought I would say this. That is no longer going to be the case. There is going to be a beach, um, a luxury kind of wellness oasis. Can you talk to me more about that? I'm so excited for this. So I I can talk to you about it a little bit. I I don't know a lot about it, except, again, interestingly, it's an international operator. I think they're they're based possibly in Central Central Europe. They've got uh, a number of these incredibly high-end luxury spas, enormous spas, water parks kind of combined all over Europe. And again, they've looked to the UK 
and they've picked Manchester. And it, and it's really interesting that they have chosen Manchester. It's a, it's another string to the bow of the city in terms of the visitor economy. Um, it's a, another another element for the residents as well. It's something else for us to enjoy in the same way we've now got the uh, the, the RHS um, garden over at Bridgewater in Salford. It's fantastic for the people in Manchester to have these uh, facilities on their, on their doorstep. So you're right, Manchester does uh, now have a beach. And the question is what... What do we go for next? And I, I remember an episode of The Simpsons where um, Homer was jealous of a, a rich guy and uh, he said he hasn't got everything. He hasn't got a dinosaur, which was a fair point. You know, however rich you are, you <laughs> haven't got a dinosaur. But I think even there, Manchester wins because Manchester Museum has just reopened and it is phenomenal. We now have Completely expanded. We have Stan, the famous T-Rex, back in his pride of place towering over the the main kind of uh, the main hall as you walk in so we now have a beach and a dinosaur incredible i don't know what else manchester can do it feels <laughs> you know i don't want to say that we've topped out i think there's still stuff to go out yeah. but certainly it feels that we're hitting hitting the heights and on your point about luxury this is a really interesting thing especially in the city center i don't want to open up a kind of can of worms about the idea of gentr- gentrification and why that is you know, not always a positive process and about issues of integrating communities and about possibly the straw man that the issue in most cities is not affordable housing, it's social housing. And the lack of provision around that is a, is a whole different kettle of fish. But if we just slightly leave that to one side, Manchester hasn't had a wealthy city centre or kind of central urban population since the Industrial Revolution. And that's not a good thing. However you paint it, that is not a good thing. So to have wealthy, affluent people choosing to move back into city centre Manchester, to me, is fundamentally a good thing. If we do it in the right way and we integrate people and we develop the city in, in the right way, I think it's healthier to have a mix of people from a mix of backgrounds all in and around the extended city centre. And I think the most important thing is we have to remember it affects the tax take at a, at a time when local government is, is starved of funding are continually cut from from central government if we have a hundred thousand people living where there were not a hundred thousand people before most of those developments are on brownfield sites no one's been displaced this is the use of what were open air crushed brick car parks and all of those people are paying council tax and that's going into the council coffers that has to be a good thing it has to be a good thing for the city um so we need to respond to those people we need to attract those people so seeing things like soho house or luxury water parks and spas or whatever it doesn't make my teeth itch because i know for me i i know that doesn't affect the fact that there are still social issues to to work on there are still problems to be solved but i think attracting wealthy people attracting luxury lifestyles into Manchester city centre handled correctly is a real positive for the city, a positive for everyone in Manchester. Absolutely. And I think with these kind of Soho house openings, etc., and all of these, the Michelin star restaurant, Manor, mm-hmm. Coates, for example, all of these kind of high end luxury offerings will sort of feed the appetite for high-end luxury residential property. And I think I totally understand your point about the kind of wider perspective, but I think it can also easily be missed that these actually really, these schemes can really contribute to the local economy, apprenticeships, construction jobs. Um, But just on that, I know that your role with Landing Light Mm -hmm. has kind of moved into the property space. How important would you say placemaking and public realm um, and actually food and drinks both within these new developments and surrounding them, how important is that? I think it's 
hugely important and and this is um another of those kind of happy happy accidents really that i've spent 25 years now or more slightly more than 25 years immersed in my own geekery around food and drink and then later, latterly arts and culture and i've also been also interested in property i've been quite geeky about property when there was a, a reba bookshop down on portland street i was the guy buying academic architectural textbooks even though i wasn't studying architecture because i was just fascinated by the whole um the whole subject so these have been three twin passions of mine and i think what's happened over the last probably the last 10 years is that the property industry where i built up a lot of friendships and relationships started looking at what i was doing and going do you know what we need food and drink and arts and culture that's actually quite crucial to our developments um, and realizing value on our developments we might need your advice we might need your input so I, I never set out to be a consultant, but I have effectively ended up becoming a consultant and, and advising property developers and city councils at quite a kind of high, high level, strategic level about their food and drink engagement and strategy and tenant mix and all the rest of it. And also about the, the arts and culture, whether it's public sculpture or within buildings or, or whatever. In terms, of, in terms of why it matters, I think it does matter. Obviously architecture is important the look of the buildings the facilities of the buildings do matter but it is just boxes and square footage at the end of the day you know that's kind of what you're selling and it, it can become no matter what quality of finishes you've used and all the rest of it it can be tough to differentiate when you are just selling rectangular boxes to live in the stories that you tell the scenes that you set the lifestyles that you create and can offer and can market um which are which are anchored around the the kind of sense of place the sense of community the food and drink offer the feeling of creativity the kind of artistic element as well for developers that is massive it's not just fluff it's not just window dressing it's not something you bolt on at the end of a development it's something that you should be knitting in yep. from day one and i yep. think it's it's a really interesting point I go to London a lot and I adore London. Never wanted to live there, still don't, but I love to visit London. But what you notice when you go around areas, whether it's Marlebone or Mayfair or, or wherever, a lot of these districts are controlled by a single landlord, whether it's Grosvenor or, or the Crown or whoever it might be. Um, so this is a terrible word used outside of the artistic context, but I'm going to use it anyway. They curate their ground floors because they own every building and every development they'll take a hit on a lease or a site to get the right mix of offer, the right mix of operators for their tenants, whether it's commercial tenants or residential tenants or whatever. They can take that very kind of strategic overview and, and really kind of a, really think about adding value to the development as a whole. Whereas in Manchester, ownership has always been piecemeal. We're a piecemeal city. Every little corner, every site, every, every building is owned by a different private landlord. And that's what we see on places like King Street. It can make it really problematic because who's going to take one for the team as a landlord on King Street, get your rent down to get a really cool independent operator in, and then all of the other all of the other landlords benefit from the uplift because suddenly King Street, for example, is the is the new cool place to be. So we've always struggled with that. It's every man for itself or every woman for himself. Um, there's this idea that I just want the best rent I can get, and I, I don't care really who it is. I just want to get the best money for my building. And we've seen that change in Manchester over the last ten years. We saw it change in Spinning Fields. 
where suddenly one developer controlled an entire district and was be a, able to think about how they planned the offer and and that's not to say that you know there weren't some backward steps with you know with Mike Ingle he's a, a genius and he's brilliant with what he's done down there the national guys didn't work initially but then the partnership with Tim Bacon was unbelievable and everything that has come after has been a product of that and then you look at Ancoats as well and even down to campus as well you look at how these districts are developed and because there's a single owner or a majority owner, Ancoats is a great example where they they literally attracted best-in-class F&B operators. Every single one of them, whether it's Manor or whether it's Erst or whether it was the first ever Rudy's or whether it's Hip Hop Chip Shop or Sued Pasta or whatever, they're all phenomenal. If they're just put by the yard, no name or big chain operators in there, would Ancoats have got all the press and all the buy-in that's driven the 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 kind of apartment prices into the stratosphere i would argue no absolutely not i would argue they made that decision from day one and it's paid off in spades and i think that is the approach that more and more developers are starting to take around the city a more kind of cohesive and more holistic approach to their developments and i i think it's the right approach i think it's fantastic although i like the kind of every every person for themselves chaos that's built Manchester I quite like that kind of chaotic energy cities have to mature and develop a little bit and I think this is the next the next stage for the city really I totally agree I think all cities have to be about community and connection and diversity and I think if you suddenly get these you know huge residential towers that aren't integrated that don't sort of prioritize placemaking then it's not in the city's best interest either yeah. and it does kind of stick out like a sore thumb yeah. so I think that kind of public realm not just for the residents but for the residents of Manchester is so important yeah I think um, that's a, a really good point the, in, the integration mm. is crucial uh, I don't think it suits the spirit of Manchester or, or the kind of philosophy of Manchester to try and create kind of almost like walled citadels you know kind of um, that's not that's not our way of doing things at all I think you can create big developments in the city, but make them permeable and make them connected and make them integrate with the wider city and the the wider communities. Um, and I think it's the developers who do that right who are really going to see the benefit and also really going to get the support of, of the city. You know, yeah. I think that's what Mancunians like to see. Okay, so let's talk a bit more about the Northern Quarter and Ancoats, um, both of which are my favourite parts of the city. I think they have so much character um, and charm. But I know that your office used to actually be in the Northern Quarter, didn't mm-hmm. it? Kind of around 10 years ago? Yeah, just over. Okay, so you must have seen a really significant amount of change since then with kind of mass regeneration. I'm just interested to know your stance on kind of if you think these areas have struck the right balance Mm -hmm. between new investment and these kind of luxury restaurants that we discussed, but also retaining the area's kind of proud heritage um, and sense of history from Mm -hmm. the area as well. I think the, the key point is that cities change. If, if you don't want change, then you move to Old Glossop, where I live. Um, cities are meant to be dynamic. They're not in stasis. They're not preserved in aspect. They're going to continually change and continually develop. So I don't think Ancoats and the Northern Quarter have kind of um, achieved their final form. They're going to keep changing and they're going to keep developing. It's not It's not a final end point. Um, I have been going out and living around the Northern Quarter and, and Ancoats since... Well, since the 90s, I lived there since 99. I had an office since the mid-noughties and uh, and had that there until 2011. So I have seen a, a lot of change. I think 
I think the thing that people sometimes rightfully complain about is they feel that the development is pushing out an independent independence of spirit and independent businesses and maybe more kind of creative businesses or artist-led spaces, creative-led businesses. And I, I get that. I do fully empathize with that and I, I think that's a fair accusation but the thing i probably rail against is the idea that if we build on the northern quarter or bigger businesses move in that's somehow going to kill off manchester's independent artistic spirit i don't believe it and i don't accept that we are stronger than that we are more resilient than that we're more creative than that that independent nature that creativity is not going to be quashed or pushed out of the city. It will move around the city. Incredible. So final question for you. Mm. What are you personally most excited about in Manchester this year? What am I most excited about in Manchester this year? It's a very personal thing. It's that after 19 years of of building up and running NRB, this big uh, hospitality exhibition, I sold it in October. And that's quite a big thing. In fact, there's been two fundamental life changes. My my son, my first son was born about the time that we set the business up and my son's gone to university and uh, we've sold the business. And it was a phenomenal business and I, I loved running it, but it was a big demand all the time. It was always at the kind of back of your, back of your, your head there. And I think having that removed creates a little bit of a void and a little bit of time just to kind of think and explore stuff. You start walking around your own city and instead of feeling like you're on kind of tram lines doing the NRB annual circuit that you always do with all the same jobs at all the same times of year, you can go off the rails a little bit more in a nice way. I mean that in the in the most positive of senses, but you kind of wander around the city without having those same pressures. And you look at stuff and you, you take a, a different side street than you would normally take because you just fancy it and I feel a little bit like I'm getting to rediscover my city and it's changed so much over the last however many years that I'm I'm just seeing new and interesting things everywhere there's a bookshop on on uh, Tib Street which is yeah. uh, called Anywhere Out of This World yeah. is it called yeah. incredible uh, there's a there's a, an amazing fashion retailer whose name I can't uh, this thing of ours in Ardwick Green I'm finding all these new little businesses I've just got a bit more time to almost pretend I'm on a city break absolutely put yeah. the put the energy and the curiosity that I put into every one of my overseas trips into my own home city and to have the time the bandwidth the headspace to be able to do that is probably the single most exciting thing and I I can't wait every every day is exciting it's been amazing speaking to you you've actually made me incredibly excited to spend the next few weeks in Manchester good I'm going to go to Matt and Fred's tonight wonderful Ramona Ah, my personal addiction living the dream Um, yeah but thank you so much it's been incredible speaking to you about Manchester um, and I'm really excited to see where the future goes for the capital of the north fabulous thank you for having me Amber loved it thank you so much and to everybody watching or listening thank you so much for tuning in you can subscribe on your platform of choice we're on Spotify Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts 